This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Another day, another false alarm. And this is the kind that could have catastrophic consequences. Today, Japan's public broadcaster mistakenly sent an alert warning citizens about a North Korean missile launch and urging them to seek immediate shelter. Then... They retracted it just minutes later, and this comes days after a similar error occurred in Hawaii. We all remember that one. NHK Television issued the message today on its news websites, as well as on Twitter, saying North Korea appeared to have fired a missile at Japan. It said the government was telling people again to take shelter. So, uh, how dangerous is this? You know, um, NHK, the television station, deleted its tweet after several minutes. Uh, they were faster than uh, the Hawaiian authorities were in getting rid of the alarm. And it said that it was a mistake in using the alert system uh, that caused the error. So is this happening because uh, the elevated the elevated temperature, uh, the warlike talk is causing everybody to check their actual systems and find the bugs or what? Uh, right now, let's go to public affairs analyst and political commentator, Michael Tobe. Hi, Michael. Hey, Libby. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Should I be worried about this? <laughs> well, not yet. I, I, I say the, the good thing is, um, and if there is really a good thing, is besides the fact that both were false alarms, is that at least, as you alluded to, this mistake was caught much more quickly than Hawaii. In Hawaii, it took close to 40 minutes, I think 38 minutes in total, if I'm not mistaken, to actually rectify this error. Well, in terms of Japan, the uh, public broadcaster, which is NHK, caught it in under five minutes. So the good news is at least the Japanese were able to catch the mistake, change the narrative, put things back in order, and everyone calmed down pretty quickly. The thing that we should be concerned about is that this has happened a couple times in the past two weeks, which makes you wonder, one, what the systems are like in terms of tracking potential problems such as, say, a missile coming from North Korea. Two, for all the discussion and talk that we've heard that basically technology has improved to the point where it can actually disseminate information as to what is a genuine threat and what isn't, are we really as far advanced as we thought we were? And who knows? These episodes in the last couple of weeks seem to allude to the fact that no, maybe we're not. And thirdly, you know, while it's certainly good that Japan caught the mistake quickly and that people weren't panicking for a lot of period of time, we have to remember that in Hawaii, based on news reports, there were some people who started hunkering down in their places, living in fear, 
believing that they'll never say goodbye to their spouses, their friends, their loved ones, etc. Because really, close to 40 minutes is a long period of time to believe that your life as you know it could end, and the world as we know it could end. And even though ultimately it turned out to be nothing, and that's obviously a good thing, it's concerning that these things are happening on a regular basis, and that at least in the case of Hawaii, people had to live in fear for what seemed to be a long period of time. Well, yeah, and I think there were other issues in Hawaii where uh, that some of the cell phone carriers were not required to carry the emergency alerts. Yes. Uh, so, so the whole thing seems like a, a you know a, a a mess, perhaps partly because of all kinds of deregulation. Yes, I think deregulation certainly has had something to do with it. I agree with you there. I think, if anything, that these two recent examples are probably an important note for technology companies and, quite frankly, for governments to take into account and ensure that proper safeguards are put into place, that proper mechanisms exist where they can catch these things, you know, real or not real, that they can catch them quickly, isolate them, and hopefully just at least find a way to get information fast, like let's say, to use your example, the example of Hawaii, where it wouldn't have taken as long uh, for people to find out that this was just a false alarm, it was a complete mistake, nothing is going to happen, etc. I think it is actually very incumbent upon governments to ensure that there's the best system possible that's in place and hopefully these things won't happen again. I mean, maybe these are two isolated examples, Libby, and we're not going to hear about it, who knows, for months, for years, etc. But I think because of the way the world is right now, we don't live in a safe environment. We obviously know that North Korea has missile capacity. Their ICBM program is obviously working much better than it did years ago or decades ago during the days of, say, going back to Bill Clinton's time when it was just sort of seen as a joke. And in fact, the North Korean nuclear uh, division, and in terms of its ICBM constructs, its missiles, was seen as a joke up until last year, when they actually had one successful launch, which went through the Sea of Japan, and as some people have estimated, it could have potentially hit parts of the United States, if these numbers are accurate. And it was given accuracy and legitimacy by organizations around it. So, for those reasons, we have to ensure that we have the best systems in place, because North Korea is not this little uh, you know, this little offshoot where they're just banging their chest and nothing is happening. Kim Jong-un and the people around him are obviously pretty nutty in the grand scheme of things. They're impossible to deal with. We can't bring them to the bargaining table. They don't typically listen to reason, although things seem to be a little bit quieter, at least in terms of the meeting they had with South Korea recently. There may be some, uh, or at least a little bit of a breakthrough occurring, but I think based on the fact that, that North Korea remains a huge wild card, we have to ensure that the best things are in place so that we don't have to keep dealing with this, let's, let's say, on a weekly basis. Okay, so um, some of the uh, reporting that I've seen said, you know, it's possible that one of these false alarms could trigger an actual attack. Do you agree with that? 
I'm not a, a huge expert in that. Um, I would certainly hope not. I believe that based on my reading that technology is advanced enough that it wouldn't necessarily trigger it. I think the concern is that if we keep seeing false alarms on a repeated basis, and it would, you know, let's say it has some sort of a domino effect where people just sort of see it happening all the time, we could be entering a situation, just to be silly, like Chicken Little, where the sky is falling, and every time he says the sky is falling, it isn't, and the one time it is, we're not actually paying attention, we're not looking up there. If that sort of a scenario plays itself out, that would be more concerning to me than anything else. I don't believe that a false alarm could, you know, could be uh, legitimately placed in a certain category and something that really happens, which obviously is not happening in our society, then it gets missed completely. But I think, again, we have to sort of ensure that, as I said before, that we have the best mechanisms in place to catch everything, real and unreal, or real, you know, genuine and non-genuine, for the reason that we want to ensure that when something does happen, or if something does happen, we're able to react quickly. In the cases of Hawaii and Japan, we've actually seen two false alarms. That's fine. You know, the whole thing is it's two strikes against you is bad. Three strikes are out. Let's make sure that the third one doesn't occur. Okay, let's let's turn to the actual situation. Sure. Um, I've seen some, uh, you know, informed commentary lately who's saying, hold on, uh, the Korean leader, he's actually... N- not crazy. He's not a joke. He's very dangerous. And he's also not suicidal. Uh, there was this mm-hmm. piece on 60 Minutes uh, on Sunday, where they actually showed off their their uranium and their some of their nuclear capability to an American scientist. Right. Uh, that's pretty scary. Sure. No, I agree with you. I mean, you can be crazy and dangerous at the same time. So I think there is a correlation between those two terms. And let's put it this way. Books that have been produced about North Korea over the years, and quite frankly, there haven't been a lot of them, but there was one a number of years ago by Regnery Publishing that came out, which directly said that Kim Jong-un, yes, as you say, is dangerous, but seemed to be very unstable, or at least moles around him or people around him were sort of suggesting that. Even if the narrative is not true, I think we can certainly accept the fact that be, that North Korea is tied with the word dangerous, no matter what. Because, oh, yeah. because their missile testing has obviously reached a point where it is now a legitimate threat rather than, the, than this caricature we've seen in the past. So whatever we do or do not think of Kim Jong-un, I think we have to now be cautious at everything, which doesn't mean we have to live in fear when we walk outside, when we talk to our neighbors, etc. But we have to ensure that we understand that whatever is coming out of North Korea, even if it's not real, has to be taken with at least some seriousness and not just a grain of salt. And that means that when we hear about them testing missiles in the Sea of Japan, which they do on a pretty frequent basis these days, or when we hear of our, you know, uh, some of our Western allies in that region, such as South Korea and Japan, worrying about the fact that they feel that there are war drums beating in North Korea, while we can sort of mock at it, if we wish, based on past history, I think we have to now take it with a, a much more serious outlook and a more serious eye and ensure that countries that are our neighbors and our allies and our partners, including the United States, even with the zaniness of Donald Trump in mind, 
that everybody is aligned and, and realizes that everything coming out of North Korea has to be examined and investigated to some extent. It doesn't mean that we have to send all of our best people on it, but to some degree we have to be we have to be careful, we have to be forthright, and we have to ensure that we get ahead of the story, which means that we have to keep our eyes on them all the time. Let's uh, take a couple of calls. We've got Dave in Hamilton. Hi, Dave. Hi, Olivia. Hi, uh, your Michael. gentleman friend. Michael. It's an easy name, not a problem. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, my point being is that during that 38 minutes, uh, terrifying uh, people for the people in uh, Hawaii, I, I just thought to myself, Trump, the erratic person that he is, and the nutty person, and so on, thank God he didn't push the red button uh, during that period of time, which he could have. Apparently he was on a golf course, but I think he will talk in jest, or I'm not sure. He'll, he says, or he'll comment that he has the red button in his trousers, in his pocket, access to it at any point in time. So possibly that could have happened, and thank God it didn't. And also, I just want to mention the uh, there is an expression which I'm sure everyone knows of the fine line between intelligence and insanity. And I hate to uh, <laughs> say this, but I, I really believe that uh, Mr. Kim has this in his psyche somewhere. And the other thing, I'm echoing what uh, it was said about the uh, Chicken Little business. Well. Yeah, the the boy who cried wolf is also applicable in the missile situation. Okay, Dave, thanks for that. Okay, you're welcome. Take care. Bye. Well, uh, yeah, I just wonder if if, uh, Kim Jong-un's crazy isn't crazy like a fox, Michael. Could be. Um, You know, it is possible. Uh, If you look at the history of his family, from his grandfather Kim Il-sung, to um, <clears throat> to Kim Il, uh, Kim Jong Il, his father to him, I think the one thing that has been quite noticeable, and a lot of people who have more expertise in this area have come to the same thinking that I have, is that in the cases of Kim Il Sung and Kim Jong Il, there was an understanding between those two men, even though they certainly had their moments of instability, that you can only play this game with the world, that being the United States and Western countries, only so far, which means that the world is only going to take your threat so seriously, you know, you can only say that you have so much power to such an extent that they realized where they could actually stop, where the barrier was. The problem with Kim Jong-un, either because he's, as you say, crazy like a fox, or because he's entitled, or because he lives in this delusional fantasy, it doesn't even matter what it is, he actually seems to believe that he can go much further than his grandfather and father ever could in terms of antagonizing the West, antagonizing the United States, and as your caller said, claiming that he has this magic red button where he can launch a nuclear weapon anywhere, including, as he correctly said, possibly on the golf course, which is where he was reported to be during the whole Hawaii episode as it evolved. So from those things, I think we sort of have to look at the fact that Kim Jong-un, A, he's in power, B, he has military support, C, there isn't a lot of opposition that's going to bring him down anytime soon, and D, whether he is mentally stable or unstable, it doesn't really matter. This is the person we have to deal with, and if he threatens or if he makes threats, 
we have to retaliate to some extent, which is where, whether you like Donald Trump as U.S. president or you don't like him, he's at least handling that component of it properly. When he starts tweeting that I have a bigger red button than Kim Jong-un, I think that's where it gets a little preposterous. Okay, let's uh, hear from Hal in Kitchener. Hello, Hal. Yeah, I agree with you, Libby. I think he's uh, really a smart guy. Well, anyway, I mean, I, a, you know, I don't... Trump is a whole different, uh, whole different situation. But my scenario is, is this. If this guy in Korea is so dumb, uh, you know, how can he arrange to have his, his half-brother killed in another country? He's pretty ruthless, too. Well, he arranged that whole thing. He played it, you know, out to success. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he, in fact, didn't have somebody press these buttons for him just to cause disruption. Oh, you mean the false alarms? The false alarms. Uh, I wouldn't put it past him to be able to have somebody go and, and press those buttons incorrectly. That's, you that's know, that's, that's quite the, the conspiracy theory, but hey, who, who knows? I mean, I thought it was interesting that uh, in the Hawaii case, they said the guy who uh, pressed the wrong button has been reassigned. Yeah. I, I would think that's a firing offense, personally. But maybe would hope so, yeah. by somebody else to do that. Yep. I uh, wouldn't put it past them. I mean, you know, I, w- I would say you keep that one for uh, when you write your spy novel. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm not an order, and, and I don't, I don't. Jean Lecaire, here we come. <laughs> I can't get into uh, that type of thing. But anyway, that was just my two cents. I, uh, I, I, as I said, I wouldn't put it past this guy to be able to accomplish anything he wants to do. Okay, I wouldn't put anything past him either. Thanks, Hal. Take care. Okay, uh, in the few minutes we have left, Michael, uh, so yesterday we had this meeting in Vancouver, Canada, and the U.S. They excluded China and Russia, who were really annoyed about that. Uh, Did that do any good? (laughs) Well, probably not for the Chinese and the Russians. Yes, I would agree with you there. I'm sure they were furious that they were excluded. Um, unfortunately, this is the way geopolitics is operating right now, Libby, and I'm not saying that it's the best way to do things, actually far from it, but we are now basically seeing tribal nations or tribal blocks being created. Some people have argued, and these are the people who've been anti-globalization activists and others, that when we had things like NAFTA, the European Union, and other things created, this was, this was the start of you know, a, a shift in the way we look at economics, geopolitics, etc. I wouldn't go that far. I actually believe in the nature of trade blocks, and I think they're beneficial. But when it comes to current relations between countries... I think that the United States and Canada, based on its historic relationship, you know, we are our closest friends, allies, and trading partners, and we have been for a long time, and it doesn't matter who's been the leader in power. Obviously, there have been closer uh, relationships that have occurred. I, I would say certainly Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau for a short period of time was closer. Obviously, Brian Mulroney and Ronald Reagan were closer. And right now, Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau, you know, they get along for the most part. I mean, obviously, they don't have a lot in common. They're two very different creatures. There's no question of that. But does a a meeting like that, 20 countries were there, is that going to do anything to solve the Korea crisis? Well, it's not necessarily. I mean, you have to have the biggest players involved. And whether we like China and Russia or whether we have issues with China and Russia, and we do... 
they have to be included in here, especially because both the Chinese and the Russians have objected to the North Koreans either, quote-unquote, building up their nuclear arsenal, if they are, or the fact that they've been testing weapons on various things, or that the North Koreans have not acted in, shall we say, a proper diplomatic fashion in dealing with Western nations. So the 20 nations meeting together, of which I was just isolating Canada and the U.S. for you, and discussing this issue, yes, it's important, yes, it's relevant, in, you know, and something will come out of it, and that's good. But if major players like China and Russia are not invited to the bargaining table, even if we hate them, so to speak, um, I don't really know if you're going to be able to get the full effect that you want. If you really want to block the North Koreans, you have to get the Chinese involved, who are really the closest nation to them in the grand scheme of things, although that relationship has become pretty frosty over the past couple of years. And Russia, because of its past history with North Korea, Russia, that being the old Soviet Union, when it used to give either nuclear weapons, nuclear secrets, or just missiles in general to the North Koreans. For that reason, they both have to be at the bargaining table. Okay, uh, we're going to leave it there. Michael Tobe, thanks so much for that. My pleasure. Have a great day, Libby. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. And that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. We now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.